Welcome to the Life of Christ, Series 2. This is Term 3, Lesson 23. We are going to begin at the subtitle, Jesus Encounters His First Disciples. <clears throat> this is in Chapter 1. And uh, returning to John Chapter 1, we are now introduced to the Lord's first five or six disciples. Now the reason that I said or six in brackets is because it depends on where you're reading, there is an indication there was another disciple there. So I'll deal with that as we get to it, just so you understand why that one is in brackets. Now, this is simply when they first meet Jesus and decide to become his spiritual followers on a casual basis, meaning that they would still pursue their secular occupations. Following this encounter, about a year later, we have a second significant encounter mentioned in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark 1, when Peter, Andrew, James, and John become the Lord's more steady companions and begin to realize that they are being trained for apostleship. And it is only after this that Jesus is going to extend a permanent invitation to these men, and it will say that they forsook all or left everything, referring to their secular occupations, and followed him. All right, let me just talk to you about that for a minute. I was always under the impression, and some Bible commentators also give you that impression, that they were just called once. But most Bible commentators now are actually understanding that it wasn't one call. And we need to understand this as well, because when I first saw this, you know, as I was praying over it, I was asking the Lord, I said, what, what's the deal with this? And why do we have this? Why do we have these three calls and three stages? And he said, they are commitments. He said, you don't commit to something straight away, generally. You know, and he said, you need to understand that you need time to think about things. And you need time to pray about things. Amen? And... Um, so we need to understand that, you know, some people want an immediate decision from you. Who knows what I'm talking about, okay? Be careful. Because you know what? If it's immediate, I would say no as a first response. Because if, you know, usually the people that want you to say yes straight away are worried that if you think about it too much, you realize it should be, there should be a no there. The people that, you know, are sure that you're going to say yes will say take your time. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Okay, because they'll know you'll come to your senses and go, yeah, what, what am I doing? Yes, absolutely, I'm coming. You know? <laughs> okay, whatever. So I, I need you to sort of see that and understand that this is a biblical principle. Amen? And we're going to see that in the disciples, and can I just say something else? Jesus didn't upbraid them. He didn't correct them. You know, he didn't say, what's wrong with you people? None of that. So it's important to understand that even Jesus was willing to put out, you know, up to three invitations before he said, before he, I guess, before he required a permanent decision. And now we'll go, we're also going to understand why Jesus would pick these to go in with him to do some special things. You know, out of all the twelve, you know, you keep hearing Peter, James, and John. It's interesting you don't hear Andrew, but anyway, now you'll understand why. Because these, these guys took time. They took time to think about it, and when they made a decision, it was a very good decision. It was permanent. After all of these, like all these invitations, the next, next thing that we're going to see that happens is Matthew, the tax collector, being asked to follow Jesus in Matthew 9.9, 9, which he does shortly after that. And in Matthew chapter 10, 
verses 1 through 4, the rest of the 12 apostles are simply named. So there's no invitation for the rest of them. Um, they're just named. And he says, these are the apostles that Jesus had, and then you'll name 12 of them. And that's, that's the end of it. So with this in mind, let's look at John chapter 1, beginning in verses 35 through 37, where the apostle John writes, again, the next day, now this is the third successive day. Can you remember the day one, day two, and now we're up to day three? Remember day one, what, what happened? John has an encounter with the Pharisees, remember that? They ask him, who are you? And he says, and he says are you this? He goes, no. And you, you know, remember that whole conversation. The next day, remember Jesus comes, he baptizes him. Remember the heavens open up and everything else. So now this is the third successive day. Are you all with me now? Okay. So it says again, the next day. This is the third successive day. John stood somewhere along the Jordan. And two of his disciples, and we are going to identify these disciples as Andrew and John. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they, that is Andrew and John, followed Jesus. Now, as mentioned before, it seems obvious that these two disciples were there the previous day, when John not only identified Jesus as the Lamb of God, but more importantly, as God's chosen one, and as the one who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. And so following some serious thoughts, remember now they've had a day to think about that, all right? following some serious thought, decided to listen to their master and follow Jesus. Now, not all of John's disciples are going to do that, but these two did. Okay. Leon Morris writes, Let us not overlook the light all this sheds on John's greatness. It is a mark of a truly great man that he can gently but firmly detach disciples firmly attached to himself, <laughs> okay, so that they may go after a greater. Okay, something that is greatly needed in leadership circles in the body of Christ today. You know, today people are trying to hang on to people for dear life. Somebody wants to go, they go, why? What's wrong? What, you know, what, what, what's happening? Why, how can I change your mind? It, it never occurs to them. You see, that, that's the reason why, you know, with, with this church, I've learned not to hang on to people. Because if they don't belong here and you hang on to them, then there'll be an irritation in your side. And what else? You'll be an irritation to them. Because obviously there's something they don't like. Are you all here? And so it's not a good relationship. Amen. And you know what? We need to get to the place also where we understand that God supply, supplies our need according to His riches in glory, not according to how many people are sitting in the congregation. Are you all with me? Amen. And so, you know, that's where I think a lot of our insecurities come from. And the reason why a lot of pastors and churches are the way they are. Because they're looking to man at the end of the day. Listen to me carefully. I get revelation upon revelation upon revelation on one statement that Jesus made. <laughs> you know, when he said, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. And we never get that. We always think, oh, yeah, 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 that, that filthy, you know, that, that, that filthy sinner over there has got his hands on filthy lucre. You know, they call that money, <laughs> okay? And can't get enough of it. And, you know, we think that's what it means. But we're holy and we're worshiping God. That's, you know, Jesus, when he said that, he wasn't thinking that. He, look, he's looking at the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all these people that, you know, are, are basically have given themselves 
to pleasing people and you know doing all the things that they want you know to look good and all the things that would guarantee that they would get money from people. And Jesus looking at that and saying, you can't serve God and money. And they never got it. And we still see that today. Today, still people are, their, their insecurity is this. They're always asking themselves, you know, what am I going to have to do without if we don't have these number of people in the congregation? Do you hear what I'm trying to say? And so it's like, well, because people, to them, people equals money. I'm just telling you this, okay? These are the ones that think that way. Not all churches do think that way, all right? There are churches that will look at people as these are God's property, all right? Whoever is here, I need to look after because I'm going to have to give an account for them in the last day. Now, those ones do the right thing. And those ones are generally very balanced as well. The only reason that they'll be upset about you leaving is if they're very attached to you. Okay, which, you, you know, you, that's fair enough. I don't mind that. That's fair enough. You know, you pray for people, you get attached, and, you know, it's heartbreaking to see them go, just like one of your family members, you know, if they get married and move out. You know, yeah, you're happy for them, but you're sad as well, you know what I'm trying to say? And I understand that. But there are others, that's not their motivation. They're upset not because they're going to miss you, they're upset because they're going to miss your money. And whatever department you were helping in. <laughs> Do you know what I'm trying to say? And it's very important. We're seeing something here in the way John sees Jesus and he says, This is the one. This is the one I've been going on about. This is the one you need to follow now. Isn't it interesting? He didn't say, Now he's great and all, but stick with me. Are you all here? Amen? And it also shows us, and you know, can I just take this one step further? Different ministries have different callings. Amen. And so we need to understand that not all ministries are called to do the same thing. And thank God. Thank God we're not, we're not all produced out of some little cookie cutter, you know, where everybody's the same. And, you know, people are always looking for that. In fact, that was one of the criticisms about the church. You know, that they say, oh, why aren't we all the same? Well, thank God we're not, because you're not the same. Because if you get tired of one kind of church, or you don't fit into one kind of church... What's there left if they're all the same? Amen. You know, the church is a living entity. It is living because you are the church. It's never a building. It's the group of people that make it up. You are the body of Christ. You are the church. So depending on the group, well, that church is going to have that flavor. That's just the way it is. And some people will fit in with that. Some people won't. These two disciples realize that they don't fit in with John. They're waiting for the Messiah. They don't fit in with John. This is the one they're going to fit in with. There are others of John's disciples that are going to stay loyal to John. And they're going to see the Messiah, know that he's a Messiah, but stay with John. Okay. And John doesn't upbraid them either. John doesn't say, what's wrong with you? You should be going with him. Isn't that interesting? See, we need to read not only what is written, but what's not written as well. We need to read between the lines. You all here? And so the narrative now changes its focus from John the Baptist to the ministry of Jesus Christ. All right? This is where the change takes place. Now it, it's almost like the camera moves from John to Jesus now, and we're going to follow him now. See, everything was leading to him. Do you hear what I'm saying? All right, now we're going to go back to John for a brief moment when that whole business happens and he's beheaded and everything else. 
But the main focus now turns to Jesus, and we need to keep our eyes and our focus on Jesus. Because we're going to see now how his ministry began. All that was meant to happen was John was meant to identify Jesus as the Lamb of God. Remember, Jews are reading this. They need to know that he was the Messiah. They're still questioning because their leaders have said, no, he was a fake. Alright, so remember all this is written after he died. This wasn't written while he was alive. Okay, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to let people know. Because the one question that these people have is, how come if he was so good, and if he was the Messiah, how come the leaders rejected him? How come he was crucified? Why should we follow a man, okay, when our leaders are saying he's not the right person? When he dies, he's meant to do all these amazing things and he dies. Why should we follow him? And many Jews did not because the leaders lied. So you need to understand that as much as this is the story of Jesus, okay, his life, as much as it is that, it is also the story of why he was rejected. And the the dumb things that the religious leaders rejected him for. Okay, we're going to see some beauties. Like, oh, why heal that person on the Sabbath day? Really? That's an issue? Oh, we're going to talk about the Sabbath day when we get to it. You are going to be blessed beyond belief. Okay, you guys are going to see what it's really about. And how ridiculous people today make it. And what the Bible actually says about it. Alright? And what a balanced view on that is. Things to come. Alright, back to this. So the focus is changing now. Alright, from the ministry of John the Baptist to Jesus Christ. Verse 38. John chapter 1, verse 38. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, that's Andrew and John, following, said to them, Now watch, not who, but what do you seek? I'm in John 1, 38. He says, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? In other words, what they're seeking is an invitation from Jesus to spend some time with him. (laughs) Did you get that? Okay. So he says, come and see. He says, you want an invitation? You got one. Come on. Okay. And they, that's Andrew and John, came and saw where he was staying. Another indication that this is a first-hand account Okay, and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. Now, there are several things of importance here. First, notice that Jesus did have a home. He wasn't always out ministering. We also know that Peter had a wife. Okay, look down um, at your footnote. In Matthew 8.14, now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother. Can't have a wife's mother without a wife. Okay, (laughs) lying sick with a fever, all right? And most likely a family, and would have returned home like Jesus from time to time as well. So, we we need to get a few things out of our mind now. We need to get this idea that Jesus was just roaming around like a hippie all day. Okay, didn't have anywhere, you know, because foxes have holes and blah, 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 but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. You, You know, that has been taken out of context. And even commentators, you know, who should have more brains, have just made comments about, well, they keep going back to that and saying, see, Jesus didn't have a place, he didn't have a home. We're going to find out that he had a home. In fact, he changes homes. He's going to go live in Capernaum after a while as well. 
seaside residence. Quite nice. Hey, Jesus had taste. You know, okay? And it astonishes me how they will talk about Jesus having changed his residence and bought a house there and everything else. And then when he's in that area that he stayed in the house and they'll go, well, we don't know whose house it is. Maybe, maybe Peter's house. He had his own home. I think the religious mentality is so strong sometimes that even when you see something, you become blind to it as you move on. And it just astonishes me. So, you know, as you're going through this, we'll establish some things well and truly. Amen? And you'll be able to see that Jesus wasn't some little vagabond that was just going around all over the place, you know, going from house to house. Do you have something to eat? You know, because I haven't eaten all day, because I've been ministering. And, you know, just wow. So, what we are seeing here is when Jesus was out, what he was doing. The only times that there is successive days is when it says the next day, the next day, the next day. Then we, have, we know there are successive days. If it ain't the next day, and it says, now Jesus went from here to there, don't assume that it was the last thing that that gospel talked about, and then suddenly the next day Jesus is doing this. It might have been three months before the next thing happened. In fact, we're going to see a break in John's gospel. When you get to certain chapters, that suddenly it'll, it will go from one incident to another incident, but the, the synoptic gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they will have a whole lot of other things listed there before he actually got to this other thing that John's gospel says that he went to next. Are you all with me? Which means there's a lot of time and a lot of things that happen in between. They wrote their gospels not as a, you know, as in, in time sequence to say, now, this is when he was born, and these are all the days, and then this is when he got up, and then when he was 30, he got baptized, and now here's day one, day two, day three, day four. It doesn't happen that way. Are you all with me? Okay, they will deal with an incident, whatever number of days or whatever it, it took, and then they'll move on to the next incident. Are you all here? Okay, so it's important that you get that as well. All right. In fact, John's gospel, because of the last gospel written, leaves out a lot of things because he saw the other ones, the other gospels that were written, the synoptics, and he knew people had already dealt with certain issues. So he just jumped over things. And he deals a lot with the crucifixion and the last moments of Jesus' life. So if we're not progressing through the gospel of John very quick, that's why. Okay, because he left it to tell about what happened, details about what happened towards the end. That's why we need all four of them. Second, according to William Hendrickson, the really important point is not what is meant by the tenth hour, but why does the author mention the hour at all? The answer is, the author, as has been shown, was himself one of these two disciples. See, it mentions Andrew, but it never mentions John. Now we understand why, because John is writing this. And he's telling us, he's giving us first-hand information. He's saying he was there, he was the other disciple. That day with Jesus changed his whole life. It made such a deep impression upon him that he never forgot the exact hour when the invitation had been received and the decision to accept it had been taken. I guess he looked back on that day and remembered when his life changed. Amen? So continuing on to verse 40. Now they're going to identify. All right? They say, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew which we looked at again in verse 35, I gave you that. Simon Peter's brother. All right. And it is believed that having spent a day with Jesus, 
the two men were so impressed with him and what they had found in him that it goes on to say in verse 41. So we're in John 1, 41. He, referring to Andrew, first found his own brother Simon. Or as some literal texts also indicate, Andrew was the first to find his own brother Simon. Now, that wording is a little bit different and is significant. The literal text indicates that Andrew was the first one to go find his brother, which means that John did the same thing. See, one of the things that John does not do is tell on himself. Let me just stop there for a minute. You know, <clears throat> we always want to make ourselves the hero of our story. Amen. Okay. It, it's a thing that we do. And I, I'm not saying that the people here, but I'm saying generally speaking. When somebody's telling you a story, they're the hero in it, generally speaking. But it's very interesting that John doesn't ever do that. In fact, he doesn't even mention his name. And he won't tell about the thing that he did that was good. It'll always be uh, that other disciple. And then there are times when you're actually going to read that in reference to himself. He was such a humble man in that way. That's why there have been questions, did he actually write this? But when you see, that's the reason why that they actually have to go and prove that he wrote it. Because he just never mentions himself. But he gives details about things that only he could have known. So it's important that we see that. Because what isn't written here is the reason why I said brackets or six. Okay? Because there is, there is an indication that John himself went and called his brother as well. Now, we're going to see another calling later on. Remember James and John, sons of thunder? Okay, brothers? <laughs> okay, all right. So, we're going to see that later. But getting back to this, the text also indicates Andrew was the first to find his own brother, with William Hendrickson saying that it seems to be implied that John, a little later, does the same for his brother James. And why it does not surprise us, therefore, to find these four mentioned together in Mark one twenty nine. And said to him, we, Andrew and John, have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. So, Andrew has now gone and found Simon Peter, okay, or Simon, okay, and said, hey, we found the Christ. So, firstly, in his commentary, John MacArthur explains that the term Messiah is a transliteration of a Hebrew or Aramaic verbal adjective that means anointed one. It comes from a verb that means to anoint someone as an action involved in consecrating that person to a particular office or function. Do you understand that? Okay, alright. The term Christ, a Greek word, verbal adjective, that comes from a verb also meaning to anoint, is used in translating the Hebrew term, so that the terms Messiah or Christ are titles and not personal names of Jesus. Okay, so the whole point of all of that is when they say Jesus Christ, Christ isn't his last name. That's why they say Jesus the Messiah. Do you understand? Okay. Or they, or they say we have found Jesus who is also called the Christ, the Anointed One. Okay. All right. So that's what all that means. So don't worry about it too much. Second, William MacDonald writes, What an astounding announcement this was. For at least 4,000 years, men had waited for the promised Christ. God's anointed one. Now Simon Peter hears from the lips of his own brother the startling news that the Messiah was nearby. 
And it's more than obvious that both John and Andrew had in fact been looking for and eagerly expecting the Messiah. And now that they had finally found him, they couldn't wait to tell everybody about it, beginning with their own family members. This is what usually happens. You know, when people get saved, they're so excited. And they want to go tell everybody. Now, if you're living in a country where Christians are persecuted and they shoot you for being a Christian, this is not a good thing. You know, you can just imagine how difficult that is for the person that gets saved and something miraculous happens on the inside of them, which they can feel. And it's very sad that they just can't say anything to anyone. And we need to understand this. And also... We, you know, I've always said, be careful. You know, if if you're in a family that, you know, you both have been a certain religion other than Christian, you know, and one of you gets saved, be careful what you go and do with that, because the other person hasn't had the revelation you've had, and they haven't had the experience you've had, and they're going to feel betrayed, and they're going to feel a lot of other things. That's the reason why the Bible says, you know, be careful. Don't yoke yourself to an unbeliever. Okay, it's, it, the, the reason is because when one of you suddenly becomes a believer, then you see all the problems that develop from that. They don't realize that you can't have a person that has been born again, that has a new spirit in them, that is connected to God, okay, and have communication with someone that has no idea what all that is about. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? Amen? It is very difficult. And, and you know, a lot of times, they're, they're always saying, oh, yeah, but they're always nice to me and everything else. Yeah, but, you know, it will keep coming down to certain decisions that you're making, certain things that you want to do. And when the Lord says to you, I need you to give so much, or I want you to put your kid in a, a Christian school, or whatever, the Lord is talking to you about doing certain things, that person's not hearing the Lord. And as far as they're concerned, you're just hearing things. You're just making that stuff up. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? And then you have all kinds of divisions going on in the family. But yes, people give their life to the Lord later on, and you, you know, you're such a great witness, and all those wonderful things. Yeah, okay, I, I'm open to those miracles. But don't make life difficult for yourself, is all I'm saying. Amen? Amen. Okay. It is important to note, however, that at this time, the disciples are basing their discovery and understanding of the Messiah, firstly on what John the Baptist had said to them, and second, on the one evening they spent with Jesus. So we need to keep a track of that as well. So all they have heard is what John the Baptist said, and the time that they spent with Jesus. Now, I would love to have been a fly on the wall, and seen what they actually talked about. You know, as, as we go through the Gospels, as we start to look at things, things started to occur to me later on, that Jesus must have had a lot of conversations with them about, what happened previous before he actually came to the planet because they talk about things in their epistles that they shouldn't know and I, it you know people that have not studied the life of Jesus i believe you know because they don't realize what actually went on you know they say oh it was by divine revelation they got this and that and everything else yeah it was divine except god was walking among us and he revealed stuff to us about what was going on up there Amen? And what happened in time past and everything else. It was just awesome. So, you know, you don't have to go too far before you realize that if Jesus was there talking to them and had time with them, can you imagine the conversations they would have had? 
Amen. He would have been talking about scriptures, the Old Testament. Do you know what this actually happened? Do you know when Pharaoh went after them? This is what I did for them. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Before Abraham was, I am. Listen, he just didn't preach all that stuff and all the disciples go, Well, that's the first time we heard about that. Are you all with me? Keep an ear out for that stuff and understand. He would have already told him that. Let me just go on to one more thing and then we'll return to John 1.42 and then pick it up after the break. In time they will receive their own personal revelation about the Messiah and what it actually means. Beginning, of course, with Peter, Matthew 16.16. Remember that? When Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So they're going to get their own revelation about this. All right, But right now, all they're going on is, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He is the one that is going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the conversation that they had, and the time they had with him. Let's take a break, and we'll come back and continue on with session 24.